Listener Production. Since we started recording this podcast, one thing has become abundantly clear, that the message just isn't getting out there. We're still seeing organisations get hacked every day. Another day, another breach, as they say. Now, our malicious counterparts, our state-based actors in China and other countries, our malicious organisations, everyone from bikies to people just wanting to make a quick buck off your hard-earned money, off your set-up businesses, some of them very mature, obviously the message isn't getting out. But do you know who is getting the message? The bad guys. The malicious actors have got the message. They are employing psychologists. They are employing primarily female call centres to take your money, take your data, take your IP, take down your businesses, steal your identities on your phones, and they've got the message. Now, you're pitting them against your IT guys, and it's obviously not working because we're seeing more companies than ever fall over due to cyber breaches. Someone that we are very lucky to be joined by is Jo Stewart-Ratray. Now, she was educated in South Australia at the university there, and she studied educational psychology. Now, a lot of people would wonder how that translates to cybersecurity, but psychology is an integral part to stopping the bad guys get into your business. Thank you very much for joining us today, Joe. I'd love to hear about how you started off and how you got from educational psychology to where you are in cyber today, and you're a big player in Australian cybersecurity and even global cybersecurity. Tell us a bit about your journey. That's a very good question. And, um, you know, how long is a piece of string is how long this, this, the answer to this can be. So I'll, I'll try and make it as succinct as possible. I actually started out, like everybody, I suppose, with messing about with IT. And then I'd, uh, I was messing about with IT and then I decided I'd better go and study something, right? So so you're a bit of a closet nerd if you're uh, messing around with IT, like myself. It sounds good. A good place to start. It was a good place to start being a closet nerd. You're absolutely right. So I decided that I actually didn't want to do straight IT. So I looked at a whole range of options and I realised that I had this real passion for actually teaching people about technology. So I started down the path of educational psychology. So, you know, I did I did 11 years at university in the end because I'm a mad, mad, crazy nerd and a study nerd as well, you see. It's getting worse. This story gets worse. So I ended up by um, doing all of that stuff and then getting some postgraduate credentials as well in, in, in IT. And I suddenly realised that I was developing a real passion for security. And so I was a CIO, my first CIO role, and I was in the electricity industries. And I realised that security was had to become a part of everyday life, right? Everyday life. So we had to enshrine it somehow. So education comes back into play, right? I got a tap on the shoulder from a consulting firm that asked me whether I would like to go work with them and do some consulting in the security space because clearly I was passionate about it. I understood the educative piece. I understood that psychology was a part of the process. Understanding how people think uh, and operate uh, was really helpful to me. So that's how I started in, in security. So that's kind of a circuitous route. But that's how it was. It was circuitous until I got to the point where I realised that this was my burning passion. That's amazing. Just for the, the people listening, what's the difference between studying psychology and studying educational psychology? You have to do, you have to do psychology. 
regardless, right? You have to understand all of that human psyche stuff, the id and all that amazing stuff. So you have to understand all of that stuff. But then you take it the next step to how do you apply that to education? How do you get people to learn? How do you get them to retain? How do they... um, So the whole understanding process and the schemas, what fires off in your brain when when you hear particular phrases or particular words. So there's a whole range of stuff that you do in educational psychology, which kind of refines it down to how we think and how we develop our thinking in relation to education as well. So it's cradle to grave. It doesn't just, it's not just an educational piece. For me, I also did lifespan developmental psychology. So Now, in the cyber industry, we, in the protective cyber industry, we are lagging behind these criminal organisations, these malicious actors. They understood a long time ago that key to taking our money, to taking our IP, to breaking into our organisations, that it was a psychological problem. They understood that very early on in the piece. Why do you think the talent pool for the malicious entities is so diverse and so well understood, but us in the cyber field are still stuck with the IT departments and just trying to even convince boards that we need psychologists, that we need gender diversity, we need skills diversity? I'll just say this much. There's nothing wrong with the IT departments. I believe that security has to work side by side with, with, with technology, right? I mean, that's the way of the world. But it does go far beyond that. I was having a discussion with somebody just yesterday saying that the reality of this is that it's not just if we're really concerned about the information assets that an organisation holds that we're trying to secure, then we need to look at it far more broadly. We need to look at the stuff that's on paper, that's on my phone, that's that's you know, that's not necessarily within a corporate system. So that's a really important part of it. And I don't think that's the piece that's being recognised. And certainly the bad guys recognise that. Why would they hack into a system if they can just simply pick up my phone and get the information that they need, right? Or why would they not pick up the file that I just left on the bus or the or the um, USB stick I left in the Corners Club? Or even uh, in some scenarios, we've recently seen the Australian government just literally sell off pieces of furniture with some sensitive assets inside it. Brilliant. And yes, that was true. They were filing cabinets. And and it's even beyond that. You know, we know of organisations over the years who've sold off old equipment without sanitising them properly. So it's not necessarily a hard thing to do. But you're right. There is a diversity of thought in the bad guy world. Absolutely. Now, I've had organizations that do take education seriously. One of the organizations we work with have uh, done a fantastic thing with their phishing campaigns. If they can get their click rate to zero over two consecutive months, so double donuts as they talk about in the uh, COVID days, yeah. uh, the entire company gets a reward. And that, that's a fantastic way to look at it. And the other thing that we do at CTO Group, which I find really effective, and I'd love to get your opinion on it, Joe, is when we're doing workshops, we do live workshops and we hack people on stage we bring out people who've worked in environments similar to those who've been personally issued and connecting the world of being hacked at work with the world of being hacked at home. Because once you're hacked at work, you're something like six more times more likely to be hacked at home. And when you're hacked personally, your life gets upended and it can be pretty damaging uh, and take years to recover from. So making that connection makes people start thinking about it, get almost scared about it. We don't want to sell fear and doubt, but we do want to sell reality and then wake up people to, you know, cyber's pretty serious these days and it can mess you up pretty oh, intently. Absolutely agree with you. I actually think that one of the really important things that we do as employers is to make it relevant to the individual. So it's about um, 
what we train people to do in the workplace, make them realise that they can take that home with them and make if they, if they actually un- establish an understanding of what risky click behaviour is in the workplace, then they can understand that when they go home and they do their online shopping or whatever they might be doing online, what their thing online might be, right? So it's, I think we actually have that duty of care because what it's a two-way street. What protects them in the office is going to protect them at home and vice versa. It makes people begin to think about it. Why do you think that Australia is such a target? We've been to a few Southeast Asian uh, parts of the world and visited some of these malicious entities, organised crime entities that are attacking Australia, and they don't seem to be attacking America, they don't seem to be attacking New Zealand, but front and centre is we're going after Australians and we're particularly going after some particular business areas and ones that I've personally seen was real estate, uh, any asset management, uh, any small businesses – why are these malicious organisations going Healthcare, after? Healthcare, you can keep going. Yeah, yeah but wh- going. why are they targeting Australia? What is it our is it our easygoing nature? Or is it uh, our lack of cyber hygiene? What, what is it? Uh, look, lack of cyber hygiene is global. <clears throat> I have to say that's not something I do a lot of work overseas too, and I have to say I don't think it's something that's 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 particularly Australian. I think it's something that's that's global. I think we are the lucky country, so we are immediately attractive to others. You know, when it comes to, if we look at the ANU hack, for instance, the interesting thing about that was that had been going on for quite some period of time. So it was about collecting information on a particular country's citizenry. Because we have a truly multicultural um, society here, we unfortunately end up with these some of these state-based activities going on and it's really watching their own citizenry uh, and it happens to be that unfortunately uh, organizations within Australia get hacked we haven't made we have made quite a lot of enemies if you think about it in recent times because of our um, luckiness I suppose because of our uh, phenomenal resources in this country and and our trade ability Speaking about dealing things with organisations, another challenge that uh, Australian organisations find is understanding the value of their information. How do we get out there? I know you've mentioned education, but what are some other tactics we can use to basically highlight the value and even the monetary value that information has within these businesses? Look, I think that's a really good point. There is absolutely no point in in spending $100,000 to protect 1000 bucks worth of information. And most organisations are not aware of the information they hold, or indeed they might be aware of it, but they've become desensitised over a period of time to the kind of information that they hold. And if that information is lost or tampered with or stolen, the impact that it could have on their organisation. Someone has to own information. It's not just an amorphous mass and and information can become toxic over time. So it is about retaining only what you need to retain as well. So you need to make sure you have uh, have retention and, and disposal policies in place as well. So it goes back then to having good governance in place. But somebody has to be accountable for information. And, and this is something that usually everybody points the finger at somebody else. You know, I saw an email train just this morning that was saying, oh, that policy doesn't belong to us, that belongs to somebody else. And oh, and in this case, it was actually fair dinkum and it was realistic. It shouldn't have actually been sitting with the person that it's been sitting with for the last three years or the role that it's been sitting with for the last three years. So it really is about understanding who is accountable. 
In fact, we can say that for every piece of information that we either create, that we uh, uh, process, that we transmit, that we store, we are responsible for it in some way or another. We need to be responsible and accountable for for how we look after that information. So then it comes back to uh, understanding what's critical, sensitive and vital information. So we get into the whole discussion about classification then. There's a great story about this, and I actually use this with our clients. You, you mentioned data owners or, you know, who's responsible for the information that we store. If you have a breach, now I'm putting our IT guys down a little bit here, but let's talk about the census breach where, you know, it was a bit of a toss up whether it was a breach or not, but either way, us as the public knew that we couldn't submit our census data online and it was down for a, a while. Now, the the people who were deemed responsible for the uh that information were some IT guys. And they these IT guys woke up at 7.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning with Channel 7, Channel 9, all the various media outlets. And you've got a guy who's been trained in IT. He's never been trained in media management or what to say and actually hasn't even had a call from his boss yet, making random comments on national TV and it's hugely damaging to the organization. Whereas if the business had said, well, you know what, we're responsible for this information. Here's the data owner. Here's the team who shall manage that and release a proper press conference. It would have been a, a lot better for that organisation than than the way it actually went down. And yeah. that's critical, I think. Well, that comes down to, you know, having the right protocol in place for the right occasion, you know, and everybody being aware of it. It's no point. That's the other thing. There's no point having a protocol or a policy in place and it's shelfware sitting on the shelf behind me, you know, absolutely no point. It has to be living, breathing. It also has to be out there so people are aware of it, you know, absolutely. And that way Mr IT guy or Ms IT lady would know immediately that that he or she was supposed to contact the chief communications officer or whoever it might have been, but they were not supposed to make the comment themselves and they could have then with confidence walked out the front door and said, no comment. You know, if you want further information on this, please contact the chief communications officer. So really, it's it is about having the right raft of policies in place, the right protocols in place, but educating again. We get back to education, educating people as to how those are, are to be used and what their accountabilities are in relation to to those uh, elements. And it was most likely a DDoS attack, but you know, there's the the. the it's still out there. Yeah, and there's some great industries that do this really well. And this goes for businesses and personal life. If you live in the bush, people are drummed in that, what are you going to do if there's a fire? Where are you going to go? Are you going to stay and defend? Or are you going to leave early? People make these plans and that's what businesses need to have. As rock solid as that, and even individuals, mm-hmm. what, is go- what are you going to do if, uh, if your business is hacked? What are you going to do if you get an email that your systems are ransomware? Plan it out first. Have your plan put it in place exactly like you said, Joe, have a plan on a wall, make sure that everyone in the organization knows it, make sure it's not shelfware, as you say, because sadly, these things are often written by IT guys and they sit on a shelf and no one knows they exist. Well, what's even worse is that they don't sit on a shelf, they sit on the system, the system's gone and you can't access the plan. (laughs) I see that so often in organizations that I go into, it's like, seriously, that like that's 101 to me. You have a hard copy somewhere, even if you put it in the bank vault. Have it somewhere that you can actually access it. You so know? for everyone listening, who actually has their incident response plan stored on their ERP system or some kind of online storage and doesn't have an online copy? Because if you get a ransomware attack, you're going to be in a bit of a pickle. That's a 
really polite way of putting it. A bit of a pickle. <laughs> bit of a pickle, exactly. Maybe a pickle on fire. How about that? So my industry's job is to protect businesses and people from cyber attacks. And quite often we'll be very excited about, you know, presenting our findings. And let's use Equifax as an example. An unpatched Apache server, it's a little bit of a mouthful, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. is often one of the things that we find. And a lot of the times the IT departments will say, well, it's just an old system and yeah, we'll patch it and we'll be fine. But the actual problem is that that system was not patched in the first place and it only takes one hole, one crack for malicious entities to get in there. And we've spoken before about Amazon having unpatched servers on the internet. And originally it was 11 Mm -hmm. minutes and this year it was two minutes before they're hacked. There is that much malicious traffic trying to find these holes on your network that it's a really serious thing. And often boards listen to the IT department and go, oh, they're going to patch it. You know, it wasn't too bad. It should be fine and we'll continue along as we do. How do we get around that? Boards are generally not technocrats, so they're not even going to think that. They just assume that all the right things are being done uh, in the organisation. That's the assumption. And they're not technocrats. They're not going to ask the question generally, um, do, you know, what's our pa- patching regime? Not something that a board is generally going to ask. And quite honestly, that's really quite into the weeds for a board. They need to have, to have a level of assurance and comfort that the right thing is being done by the organisation, by its digital services or IT department, whatever you might want to call it. So I think that's, that's the number one issue there. And it's not just about patching. Sometimes it's about some of the really simple stuff. You know, we go back to, you talked about before, email systems. That's one of the really simple things. Not using single sign-on. So you have this very broad attack surface, all of that sort of stuff. It's, so we've got to think big picture because it's not a case of if, it's a case of when. The other thing we have to consider also is, you know, once upon a time it was way easier because we used to protect the perimeter of our organisation. Now where is that perimeter? That perimeter has moved in the last 20 years, has moved incredibly, right? So uh, we also now extend um, our uh, environment to externals, to our partners, to our clients, to our vendors. So all of a sudden we've got to consider that. And at what point does the, the Chief Information Security Officer's role start and finish? Am I responsible for the online connected refrigerators that store vaccines? Am I responsible for the CEO's pacemaker? You know, these are all hackable devices. So at some point we do have to put some parameters around some of this as well to make it so we can actually, um, otherwise you're not going to be able to take care of it all, right? You just can't. So you do need to start putting some parameters in place. Now, I, I'm I'm really interested to know, um, so in my in our industry, we're starting to get some amazing people like yourself, Joe, who've been in it for a while. What are some of the challenges you face getting into IT? Because I know I've got a few friends that are doing some really cool degrees, everything from arts. For example, we need actors in our red team. Our red team is, is the team of our organization that is paid to break into organizations. And nine times out of 10, that starts with some kind of social engineering attack. And 
Unfortunately, us IT nerds aren't the best at pretending to be something that we're not and we might rock up with cold, clammy hands and we're sweating and why we're freaking you, out. That's why, that's why you need psychologists. And talking about <laughs> wild leaps, I'm hugely excited about all sorts of things, technology and innovation and future and even outside of cyber, you know, things like we've got Crew 1 coming up, the launch, you know, going to be taking more astronauts into space. We're going to be watching this giant spaceship use technologies that have been developed this year to belly flop through the atmosphere. And cybersecurity plays a big part of what SpaceX do. Yes. What are some of the innovations that excite you most right now? And I'd love you to put a flavor on it, cybersecurity with a psychology flavor. What's what's exciting about that for you over the next five years? Uh, what's exciting is, is that the space agency is here in South Australia. So that's kind of exciting for me. Uh, and we had a launch up uh, on the Air Peninsula just recently. So, uh, you know, there's nanosatellite technology is, is, is around. There's all sorts of amazing stuff in the telecommunications space as well, particularly for alternate voice technologies in the bush. Uh, and I am a rural woman, so that kind of excites me as well. Um, but of course, I'm also uh, look do look at the security aspect of it, and and what is that going to mean for me? What is it going to mean for all of us? And you're right, cyber plays a huge part in this. If you so, you know, I actually chair for the um, South Australian government the Technology Innovation and Space Forum here, and it's really interesting to see how they're all merging together, and all of a sudden you also have specialists arising in things like space law. Who knew it? In Adelaide, South Australia, we've got a whole practice, at least one practice of, of lawyers, that that's all they do is space law. So, you know, there are these amazing innovations that we're seeing are actually leading us to the development of new careers. You know, we keep hearing about the careers that are going to disappear over time. But that's nothing new. Careers have disappeared in the past over time, but new careers arise. And that's what I find exciting is I really find exciting the opportunities that they're going to be for the next generations coming behind us. That's what's going to be exciting to see what they're actually doing, what they're working on, how they work. You know, we know that COVID has essentially changed the way we all work, but what's it going to look like into the future? How different is that going to be? When I And also when I can hop on an amazing, super fast loop and uh, be in Melbourne in 20 minutes, you know, what's that going to do for not just work, but also for me, for pleasure? It's pretty exciting. So, One of my favourite things about cyber is we get exposed to absolutely everything. And some things that I would have thought are even boring. I went to a, a client dentist the other day and he was showing me some technology that was based on Israeli fighter planes imaging technology, which only been released to the public the year before, and they were using it to map the mouth. And they were very concerned about that information being leaked because, as you know, dental records can lead to a whole heap of identity issues. But yeah, everything from dentist to cyber to space to loop um, travel actually, it's interesting that you do say that too, because I've actually got a, a guy on on the technology um, innovation and space forum who's a dentist, and I'm terrified of dentists. And he keeps saying, "By the end of this year, you're no longer going to be scared of dentists." Well, he's running out of time. I'm going to tell you, but he uh, started, was looking at different ways of producing dental implants. So, yeah, there's a whole technology thing around that. It's essentially 3D printed. Yeah, it's amazing. And and being in cyber, you get exposed to all of it, which is fantastic. Joe, I really want to thank you for coming in today. You've really opened up our eyes on how psychology affects strategy and how it's not an IT problem. It really is a whole of business and it needs a whole bunch of skills to solve it because you've got some yeah. of the smartest, most financially motivated people in the world trying to take you and your business out. 
and uh, I want people like you on my team to stop that happening. Thank you so very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I just keep saying to people, stay vigilant. Hacking is real. People and organisations are being taken down every day. If you'd like some professional advice and assistance, go online to ctrlgroup.com.au and we'll help you. Listener.